0: Chapter Twenty Three of Tante. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Tante by Anne Douglas Sedgwick. Chapter Twenty Three. Tante arrived on Monday afternoon, and the arrival reminded Gregory of the Buddha's installation but, whereas the Buddha had overflowed the drawing-room only, Madame von Marwitz overflowed the flat. A multitude of boxes were borne into the passages where, end to end, like a goods-train on a main line, they stood impeding traffic. Louise, harassed and sallow, hurried from room to room, expostulating, explaining, replying in shrill tones to Madame von Marwitz's sonorous orders, Victor, led by Mrs. Forrester's footman, made his appearance shortly after his mistress, and, set at large, penetrated unerringly to the kitchen, where he lapped up a dish of custard, while Mrs. Barker, in the drawing-room, already with signs of resentment on her face, was receiving minute directions from Madame von Marwitz in regard to a cup of chocolate. In the dining-room Gregory found two strange-looking men, to whom Barker, also clouded, had served whiskey and soda. One of these was Madame von Marwitz's secretary, Schultz, the other a concert impresario. They greeted Gregory with a disconcerting affability. In the midst of the confusion, Madame von Marwitz moved, weary and benignant. Her arm around Karen's shoulders, or seated herself at the piano, to run her fingers appraisingly over it, in a majestic surge of arpeggios. Gregory found her hat and veil tossed on the bed in his and Karen's room, and when he went into his dressing-room he stumbled over three band-boxes just arrived from a Modista's and hastily thrust there by Louise. Victor bounded to greet him as he sought refuge in the library and overturned a table that stood in the hall with two fine pieces of oriental china upon it, the splintering crash of crockery filled the flat. Mrs. Barker had taken the chocolate to the drawing-room some time since, and Madame von Marwitz, the cup in her hand, appeared upon the threshold with Karen. "'Alas! the bad dog,' she said, surveying the wreckage while she sipped her chocolate. Rose was summoned to sweep up the pieces, and Karen stooped over them with murmured regret. "'Were they wedding presents, my Karen?' madame von marwitz asked console yourself they were not of a good period i noticed them i will give you better the vases had belonged to gregory's mother he was aware that he stood rather blankly looking at the fragments as rose collected them oh gregory i am so sorry said karen taking upon herself the responsibility for victor's mischance i am afraid they are broken to bits see this is the largest piece of all they can't be mended. No, Tante, they were not wedding presents. They belonged to Gregory, and we were very fond of them. Alas, said Madame von Marwitz, above her chocolate and on a deeper note. Gregory was convinced that she had known they were not wedding presents, but her manner was flawless, and he saw that she intended to keep it so. She dined with them alone, and at the table addressed her talk to him, fixing— as ill-luck would have it, on the theatre as her theme, and on Le Gaine d'Or as the piece which, in Paris, had particularly interested her. "'You and Karen, of course, saw it when you were there,' she said. It was the piece of sinister fame to which he had refused to take Karen. He owned that they had not seen it.' "'Ah, but that is a pity, truly a pity,' said Madame von Marwitz. "'How did it happen?' You cannot have failed to hear of it. Unable to plead Karen as the cause for his abstention, since Madame von Marwitz regretted that Karen had missed the piece, Gregory said that he had heard too much, perhaps. I don't believe I should care for anything the man wrote, he confessed. Tiens, said Madame von Marwitz, opening her eyes. You know him? Heaven forbid, Gregory ejaculated, smiling with some tartness. "'But why this rigor? What have you against Monsieur Samier?' "'It was difficult for a young Englishman of conventional tastes "'to formulate what he had against Monsieur Samier. "'Gregory took refuge in evasions. "'Oh, I've glanced at reviews of his plays, "'seen his face in illustrated papers. "'One gets an idea of a man's personality "'and the kind of thing he's likely to write.' "'A great artist,' Madame von Marwitz mildly suggested. "'One of our greatest. "'Is he really? "'I'd hardly grasp that. "'I had an idea that he was merely one of the clever lot. "'But I never can see why one should put oneself, "'through a man's art, into contact with the sort of person "'one would avoid having anything to do with in life.' Madame von Marwitz listened attentively. Do you refuse to look at a Cellini bronze? Literature is different, isn't it? It's more personal. There's more life in it. If a man's a low fellow, I don't interest myself in his interpretation of life. He's seen nothing that I'm likely to want to see. Madame von Marwitz smiled, now with a touch of irony. But you frighten me. How am I to tell you that I know Monsieur Samier? Gregory was decidedly taken back, "'That's a penalty you have to pay for being a celebrity, no doubt,' he said. "'All celebrities know each other, I suppose.' "'By no means. I allow no one to be thrust upon me, I assure you. "'And I have the greatest admiration for Monsieur Samier's talent. "'A great artist cannot be a low fellow. "'If he were one, he would be so much more than that, "'that the social defect would be negligible.' "'Few great artists, I imagine, have been of such a character "'as would win the approval of a garden-party at Lambeth Palace. "'I am sorry, indeed sorry, that you and Karen missed Le Gain d'Or. "'It is not a play for the jeune filet, no, "'though holding as I do that nothing so fortifies and arms the taste as liberty, "'I should have allowed Karen to see it even before her marriage. "'It is a play cruel and acrid and beautiful.' yes there is great beauty and it flowers as so often on a bitter root ah well you will waive your scruples now i trust i will take karen with me to see it when we are next in paris together and that must be soon we will go for a night or two you would like to see paris with me again pas vrai chri gregory had been uncomfortably aware of karen's contemplation while he defended his prejudices and he was prepared for an open espousal of her guardian's point of view. It was, he knew, her own. But he received once more, as he had received already on several occasions, an unexpected and gratifying proof of Karen's recognition of marital responsibility. "'I should like to be in Paris with you again, Tante,' she said, "'but not to go to that play. I agreed not to go to it when Gregory and I were there.' "'I should not care to go when he so much dislikes it.' "'Her eyes met her guardians while she spoke. "'They were gentle and non-committal. "'They gave Gregory no cause for triumph, "'nor tante for humiliation. "'They expressed merely her own recognition of a bond. "'Madame von Marwitz rose to the occasion, "'but, oh, it was there, the soft pressure, "'never more present to Gregory's consciousness "'than when it seemed most absent.' she rose too emphatically as if to a need her eyes mused on the girl's face tenderly brooded and understood and karen's voice and look had asked her not to understand ah that is right that is a wife she murmured though believe me chérie i did not know that i was so transgressing and turning her glance on gregory je vous fais mes compliments she added karen said that he must bring his cigar into the drawing-room for tante would smoke her cigarette with him and there until bedtime things went as well as they had at dinner or as badly for part of their badness gregory more and more resentfully became aware was that they were made to seem to go well from her side not from his she had a genius veritably uncanny for with all sweetness and hesitancy, revealing him as stiff and unresponsively complacent. It was impossible for him to talk freely with a person uncongenial to him of the things he felt deeply, and pertinaciously, over her coffee and cigarettes, it was the deep things that she softly wooed him to share with her. He might be stiff and stupid, but he flattered himself that he wasn't once short or sharp as he would have been over and over again with any other woman who so bothered him and he was sincerely unaware that his courtesy in its dry evasiveness was more repudiating than rudeness when karen went with her guardian to her room that night the little room that looked so choked and overcrowded with the great woman's multiplied necessities madame von marwitz sinking on the sofa drew her to her and looked closely at her with an intentness almost tragic tenderly soothing back her hair karen looked back at her very firmly tell me my child madame von marwitz said as if suddenly taking refuge in the inessential from the pressure of her own thoughts how did you find our tally i have not heard of that from you yet she is looking rather pale and thin tante but she is quite well again "'Already she will go out into the garden,' Karen answered, with perhaps an evident relief. "'That is well,' said Madame von Marwitz, with quiet satisfaction. "'That is well. I cannot think of Tally as ill. She is never ill. "'It is perhaps the peaceful, happy life she leads, Povera, that preserves her, "'and the air, the wonderful air, of our Cornwall. "'I fixed on Cornwall for the sake of Tally, in great part.' i sought for a truly halcyon spot where that faithful one might end her days in joy you knew that karen no tante you never told me that it is so madame von marwitz continued to muse her eyes on the fire it is so i have given great thought to my Tally's happiness she has earned it and after a moment in the same quiet tone she went on this idea of yours my karen "'of bringing Tally up to town. "'Was it wise, do you think?' "'Karen also had been looking at the flames. "'She brought her eyes now back to her guardian. "'Wasn't it wise, Tante? "'We had asked her to come and stay. "'Long ago, you know. "'Had she seemed eager?' "'Eager? "'No, I can't imagine, Mrs. Talcott, "'eager about anything. "'We hoped we could persuade her. "'That was all. "'Why not wise, Tante?' Only, my child, that after the quiet life there, the solitude that she loves, and that I chose for her sake, the pure sea air, and the life among her flowers, London, I fear, would much weary and fatigue her. Tally is getting old. We must not forget that Tally is very old. This illness warns us. It does not seem to me a good plan. It was your plan, Karen?' Karen was listening with a little bewilderment it seemed to me very good i had not thought of mrs talcott as so old as that i always think of her as old but so strong and tough it was gregory who suggested it in the first place and this time too when i told him that i was going he thought of our plan at once and told me that now i must persuade her to come to us for a good long visit he is really very fond of mrs talcott tante and she of him I think. It would please you to see them together. Karen spoke on innocently, but as she spoke she became aware from a new steadiness in her guardian's look that her words had conveyed some significance of which she was herself unconscious. Madame von Marwitz's hand had tightened on hers. "'Ah,' she said after a moment. She looked away. "'What is it, Tante?' Karen asked. Madame von Marwitz had begun to draw deep slow breaths. Karen knew the sound. It meant a painful control. "'Tante, what is it?' she repeated. "'Nothing, nothing, my child,' Madame von Marwitz laid her arm around Karen's shoulders and continued to look away from her. "'But it isn't nothing,' said Karen, after a little pause. "'Something that I have said troubles or hurts you.' "'Is it so? Perhaps you say the truth, my child.' hurts are not new to me. No, my Karen, no. It is nothing for us to speak of. I understand. But your husband, Karen, he must have found it thoughtless in me, indelicate, to force myself in when he had hoped so strongly for another guest.' A slow flush mounted to Karen's cheek. She kept silence for a moment. Then in a careful voice she said, "'No, Tante, I do not believe that.' "'No?' said madame von marwitz no my karen he knew on the contrary that i hoped to have you soon at any time that you could come said karen in slightly trembling tones madame von marwitz nodded he knew that as you tell me and knowing it he asked Tally, hoping that with her installed for a long visit my stay might be prevented do not let us hide from each other my karen we have hidden too long and it is the beginning of the end, if we may not say to each other what we see. Sitting with downcast eyes, Karen was silent, struggling perhaps with new realizations. Madame von Marwitz bent to kiss her forehead, and then, resuming the tender stroking of her hair, she went on, "'Your husband dislikes me. Let us look the ugly thing full in the face. You know it, and I know it, and, parbleu, he knows it well.' There the truth is out. Ah, the brave little heart! It sought to hide its sorrow from me. But Tante is not so dull a person. The loneliness of heart must cease for you, and the sorrow, too, may pass away. Be patient, Karen, you will see. He may come to feel more kindly towards the woman who so loves his wife. Strange, is it not? And a chastisement for my egotism, if I have still any of that frothy element lingering in my nature, that I should find, suddenly, at the end of my life, so near me, bound to me by such ties, one who is unwilling to trust me—oh, for the least little bit, so unwilling to accept me at merely my face value. Most people, she added, have loved me easily." Karen sat on in silence—her guardian knew this apathetic silence and that it was symptomatic, in her, of deep emotion, and the contagion of the suffering beside her gaining upon her, her own fictitious calm wavered. She bent again to look into the girl's averted face. Karen, Cherie, she said, and now with a quicker utterance, it is not worse than I yet realize. You do not hide something that I have not yet seen. It is dislike. I accept it it is aversion even but his love for you that is strong sincere he will not make it too difficult for me i am not wrong in coming here to be with my child karen at length turned her eyes on her guardian with a heavy look what would you find too difficult she asked madame von marwitz hesitated slightly taken aback but she grasped in an instant her advantage that by being here i should feel THAT I CAME BETWEEN YOU AND YOUR HUSBAND, THAT BY BEING HERE I MADE IT MORE DIFFICULT FOR YOU. "'I SHOULD NOT BE HAPPIER IF YOU WERE AWAY, IF WHAT YOU THINK IS TRUE, SHOULD I?' SAID KAREN. "'YES, MY CHILD,' Madame VON MARWITZ RETURNED, AND NOW ALMOST WITH SEVERITY. YOU WOULD. YOU WOULD NOT SO SHARPLY FEEL YOUR HUSBAND'S AVERSION FOR ME IF I WERE NOT HERE. YOU WOULD NOT HAVE IT IN YOUR EARS BEFORE YOUR EYES.' "'I thought that you talked together quite easily to-night,' Karen continued. "'I saw, of course, that you did not understand each other, but with time that might be. "'I thought that if you were here he would by degrees come to know you, for he does not know you yet. "'We talked easily, did we not, my child, to shield you, and you were not more deceived by the ease than he or I. "'He does not understand me? "'I hope so indeed.' but to say that I do not understand him shows already your wish to shield him, and at my expense. I do understand him too well, and if there is this repugnance in him now, may it not grow with the enforced intimacy. That is my fear, my dread. He has never said that he disliked you. Said it? To you? I should imagine not. Parbleu! He has only said— karen pursued with a curious doggedness that he did not feel that you cared for him to care ah is it so you have talked of it then and he has said that and you believe it of me but the growing passion and urgency of her voice seemed to shut karen more closely in upon herself rather than to sweep her into impulsive confidence there was a hot exasperation in Madame von Marwitz's eye as it studied the averted, stubborn head. "'No,' was the reply she received. "'No, no, indeed. It was not the truth that he said to you, and you know that it was not the truth. Oh, I make no accusation against your husband. He believed it the truth, but you cannot believe that I would rest satisfied with what must make you unhappy.' and how can you be happy if your husband does not care for me? How can you be happy if he feels repugnance for me? You cannot be. Is it not so? Or am I wrong? No, Karen again repeated. Then, said Madame von Marwitz, and a sob now lifted her voice, then do not let him put it upon me. Not that. Oh, promise me, my Karen, for that would be the end." karen turned to her suddenly and passed her arms around her tante tante she said what are you saying the end there could not be an end for us do not speak so do not do not she was trembling ah could there not could there not with the words madame von marwitz broke into violent sobs has it not been my doom always always, to have what I love taken from me. You love this man who hates me. You defend him. He will part you from me. I foresee it. From the first it has been my dread. No one can ever part us, Tante, no one, ever, Karen whispered, holding her tightly, and her face, bending above the sobbing woman, was suddenly old and stricken in its tormented and almost maternal love. Tante, remember your own words. You gave me courage. Will you not be patient? For my sake? Be patient, Tante. Be patient. He does not know you yet. End of chapter twenty three.